it is a challenge to spend a season looking at this, preparing for this message, dealing with weakness, dealing with that which is uncomfortable, that which doesn't come easy and suffering. I was a, somewhere in sixth grade, seventh grade, right in there, and the church that I grew up at, we had a missionary come back off the field after spending decades in faithful ministry and service in uh, Africa. And when they came home, we gave them a great celebration, and we were so excited they are going to be back a part of us. And, but tragically, shortly after their arrival back home, they understood that his wife, they, they learned that she had cancer. And it was serious and advanced. We began to pray as a church. And even in my <clears throat> still trying to figure out who God is and how this all fit together, I remember those prayers every Sunday, every Bible class, every time the church gathered, we were praying together specifically for healing. And yet, we still had a funeral. And what I remember from that the most is that there was this moment of realizing that God doesn't answer every prayer. At least that's the way I processed it in the moment. How old were you when that reality kind of landed on you? This idea that we prayed for one thing and God didn't deliver the thing that we prayed for, so therefore God must not be answering the prayer. It's a rough reality. I, I can remember very clearly the day listening to one of my, my professors that maybe you, you're familiar with him, a guy named Randy Harris. And he was given a lesson and he just started off his lesson by stating this fact. He said, the love of Jesus protects you from nothing. And as a young Bible student, I just kind of pushed me all back in my chair and I was like, what? And he went on to explain that we have no promise... There is absolutely no promise in all of Scripture that where God says, if you follow Jesus, I will protect you from every bad thing that could possibly happen. But somewhere along the line, I got that idea. That if I follow Jesus, then there's going to be this reality that it's going to pay off and I'm going to live the nice protected life. The struggle is that that works until you encounter a passage like you just heard being read from Brandon. Where Paul talks about this weakness, this pain, the struggle, and the suffering. And so as we're in this series, Desperate, and Brandon's done a great job of conceiving this series, and I'm Grateful he was sharing part of it back with me to bring this word today. But today we're going to look at what do you do when you're desperate for deliverance? Because maybe there's something that you've been struggling with your, in your life. And there's a, there's a weakness. Or there's a pain. Or there's a, a, a form of suffering that you're dealing with. A challenge, an obstacle. 
And you have been praying and praying and praying, and it still does not seem like any deliverance has come yet. And, and it may be pain that comes from grief. It may be pain that comes from a broken relationship. It may be pain that comes from some mental health that you've struggled with. It may be pain because you, you see what your children are doing and the choices they're making and you wish that you could change them. And you're praying and it seems like the prayers don't make it past the ceiling. And you're tired and you're weary and you're wondering, when, Lord, when, Lord, when will there be some deliverance from this. So while this is not fun to walk through, I'll admit, I do believe there's a word of hope here. But to get there, we've got to interact with a man named Paul, the Apostle Paul, who started out his life against Jesus and against the church. And then... Because he has an incredible encounter with the risen Jesus, his whole life turns upside down, or you could say right side up for the very first time. And he then becomes the great proponent of the message and the gospel of Jesus and goes around proclaiming to all of those outside of Jerusalem, all those in the known world, this message. And both Jewish and those that would be considered pagan, as far from Jesus as you could possibly imagine, the non-religious of the world, they begin to believe this message. But if you know anything about Paul, Paul suffered greatly for this message. See, it's so tempting now, especially as we look at some of the ways that preachers approach the Christian faith, and it's this idea that you get more comfortable the farther you go. For Paul, it was the exact opposite. Paul struggled and struggled and struggled. And in this passage, this letter that he writes to the church in Corinth, he writes a portion and he's talking about the temptation that people can have to brag in their spiritual lives. To say, well, I'm holier than thou for whatever reason. Let me show you, let me impress you with my resume. And if anybody had a resume, Paul had a resume. But Paul never relies on his resume. He always leans into what God's doing in his life. And so he even has this moment that says, I've got all kinds of reasons to brag, but let me tell you, so that I don't get too conceited in my own head, I'm suffering in a very particular way. And that's the context of what Brandon just read. So if you have your Bibles... If you want to open up on, on your phone, we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And if you've ever struggled with a prayer that you've prayed again and again and again and it's not been answered or you're struggling right now with something, a weakness, a pain, an unanswered prayer, these are words for you. Because they come from the Apostle Paul right where he was struggling with it. So we're just going to work our way back through what Brandon's read. He begins, even if I should choose to boast, and this is his choosing, says, I've got some reason to boast. I've got some things that I can boast about in my life, but I'm not going to do that. He says, 
I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. So he's not bragging. He's not, not making stuff up. But I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or by what I say. Basically saying, I don't want to distract from my message. Or because of these surpassingly great revelations. And he's, he receives some revelations from the Lord. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited. Now, watch what he's about to reveal here. In order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh. If you circle your highlighted thing, I want you to highlight thorn in my flesh. And then he gives some context to it. He says, a messenger of Satan. So this, this is something, and I'll talk about it in just a second, but whatever it is, Paul is saying that, that there is something that, that I've been given... And it is a thorn in my flesh. And if you've ever had a splinter, you know this is not a good feeling. And so it's got this, this imagery of a large um, protruding object just a constant pain with him. And it's festering. And it's just, you can't ignore it. He just can't look past it simply. There's something real. And he even calls it as a messenger of Satan. That, that's how dramatic it is for him. To torment me. And so he says three times. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Some of your translations will say three times I prayed for the Lord to take it away with me, from me. Now, we don't know what it is. It very well could have been something physical. Some, something that was debilitating in his, his ability to, as he thought, to preach the message. Perhaps it had something to do with his eyesight. Most of his letters end up with a signature that says, See, I write this with my own hand. He talks about the large letters that he uses because maybe he had some very um, poor eyesight that was making um, uh, incapacitating him in some ways. And so he has to write with his large, large writing. Maybe it was something spiritual. It, it may have been some form of spiritual burden, a depression, or an anxiety that was burdening him. We don't know for sure. What we do know is that Paul took it very serious. And it was not something that he considered lightly and neither should, should we. It was his weakness or his suffering. And so Paul prays three times. Now when you read a passage like that, it's easy to imagine what happened is Paul prayed in the morning, didn't get an answer, so he prayed at lunchtime, didn't get an answer, prayed at the evening time, didn't get an answer, and went, oh well. What When he says, I prayed for the Lord. And that's why I really like this translation. It says, I pleaded with the Lord. I pleaded with the Lord. And these three times, these are seasons of prayer. Where he goes in and over a season, I don't know if that's a day, a week, or a year, but over a season he's praying for the, praying for the Lord to remove this. And then he backs off for a while. And then whatever it is, it rises up in him again. And so he pleads again for a season. And no deliverance from it. And then he pleads again, still no deliverance. So he's saying, at this point, after these seasons and this prayer and crying out to the Lord, there was a difference in his relationship with whatever this suffering was that he connected with. 
And so he begins to take a different perspective on it, and here's what, where he reveals his perspective to us. So three times he pleads with the Lord, then the Lord says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. Understand the answer he's receiving. Please take this away. Deliver me from this. And the voice that comes back to him, the answer that comes back to him is no. But there's more to it. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul, accepting this word from the Lord, says, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. So he does a 180 on this and says, If this is the answer that I received, I'm going to wrap my arms around it, and now I'm going to boast in my weaknesses. This, this is Paul going... I'm a mess. I got nothing going for me. So that Christ's power may rest on me. He goes on. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight. Now look at this. Here's Paul's delight list. Here's Paul. These are the good things. Here's my resume now. I'm going to delight my weaknesses in the insults that I received in the hardships that I have, in the persecutions I have, in the difficulties. Paul, you're a little extreme. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, difficulties. You think you're having a bad day? This is where Paul's saying, I am wrapping my arms around this and says, if, my, if God's grace can be shown through that, then that's the things that I'm going to find delight in. For when I am weak, then he is strong. Now, I'm going to admit, I'll be the first to admit that this sounds like cold comfort to me at some point. It's like, Thanks, but no thanks. Is that the answer that we receive? So I want to give you some takeaways that is going to help you help us all wrap our minds around and more importantly, wrap our hearts around. So whatever your weakness is, whatever your pain is, whatever your struggle is, please understand, I don't take that lightly and neither does Paul. But what Paul would come back to us and say, in the midst of his own pain, in the midst of his own weakness, in his own struggle, he would say, however severe it seems, God's more powerful than that. And that's what Paul wants to do. Is he wants to give a set of heavenly eyes, a set of heavenly glasses to look at this with, and see this from God's perspective. And so here's some things that I would encourage you, and if you want to write these down, I encourage you that if you want to take a picture of the screen when they come up. Because I'd love for you to spend some time thinking about this, particularly as it relates to whatever your pain is, whatever your situation is. Here's the first one. Your weakness is not a sign of God's absence, but an opportunity to see His presence. 
That's what Brandon was preaching on last week. That whatever your struggle is, it's not a sign of God's absence. And it's so easy to think that when I'm struggling, God's gone on vacation. He's left me. He's abandoned me. He forgets my name. He doesn't care about me. What Paul would tell you is, no, no, no. Lean in, eyes open. Because there is an opportunity here to see God at work in your life. Your weakness, whatever situation you find yourself in right now that's a struggle, is not an indication that God has abandoned you. It's an opportunity to see His presence in a completely new and dynamic way. That's what Paul would have us take away because... Paul also wants us to understand this. And this is hard for us, especially in this country. Because we do sit in some great blessings in this country that are not felt or experienced around the world. And so it's hard for this next truth. But here's one. God's more concerned with forming your character than increasing your comfort. All through Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament... God has a training school that he calls the wilderness. And we see time and time again of people of God being called out into the wilderness, into a difficult, hard time where God forms their character. Most famously, you would recall, Jesus, before he launches into his ministry, goes and spends 40 days in the wilderness, and he's doing spiritual battle in the the wilderness, and that is a preparation time for him to engage his ministry. God will call you into these places and allow you to experience these struggles because he is not interested in keeping you comfortable... Again, it doesn't protect you from stuff. But he is forming you in the middle of it. Transforming you into the image of his son. C.S. Lewis, if you're familiar with his writing, he writes in his book, The Problem with Pain. He has this, this quote, and this is a powerful quote. It says, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Once again, your pain is not a sign of God's absence. Your pain is an opportunity to see God at work and what he's doing in you and through you. The next one's this. God may not release you from your weakness, but he will redeem it. God may not release you from the weakness. Does God answer prayers? Yes. Does God sometimes answer the prayers in the exact way that we're praying for and people get healed or cured or the job comes through or the marriage gets better or whatever the struggle is? Yes, and so we pray fervently. But I know for a fact through my ministry, and you know, 
that we still have funerals. And we still see broken relationships. And depression just doesn't go away. But God can redeem it. No, God will redeem it. He may not release you from it, but he will redeem it. That's exactly what he did from Paul. Paul prayed for three times, pleaded, 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 pleaded. Whatever the thorn in the flesh was, God says, no, but my grace is sufficient for you. And he redeems that in Paul. And so he uses Paul as a mouthpiece for his gospel message and takes it around the world in the even with the weakness, whatever it was, is not the obstacle, but becomes, becomes the catalyst that God uses to display His glory, His power, His message. We have most of the New Testament because of Paul. Not bad for a weakness. Whatever yours is, God will redeem it. This is where Paul... Paul's writing is so consistent. As you start reading more of these letters, these epistles, maybe you've heard him called that, that we have in the New Testament, you'll see more and more of the connections that he's making. So he makes these connections between his letters. And so Paul continues this idea in a very famous verse, at least it's quoted very often, and it's Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28 promised the verse. The promise is that whatever the weakness, whatever the hardship, whatever the struggle is, God can reach into that and redeem it for his purpose. It does not mean that God brands search for meaning. If you don't understand his story, Viktor Frankl was a Jewish psychiatrist in Germany before the beginning of World War II. And he was both ethnically and religiously Jewish. And so then as the Nazi regime began their persecution taken and destroyed. So even his last work is gone. While in the concentration camp, he loses his family. And he endures unbelievable hardship. He begins to rewrite his manuscript on scrap pieces of paper and tries to keep it hidden. Had hope? The, the, the prisoners that had hope they were the first to succumb. Now, that doesn't make sense to some of us. It doesn't make sense to me. But what he goes on to explain is, is if they walked around with this hope that we're going to be liberated by Christmas, Christmas would come and pass and no liberation. was for a larger purpose. That's why his book's titled The Search for Meaning. Since as they were able to find purpose in their suffering, it took on a different shape for them. It took on a different reality for them. Now they were just not simply suffering for suffering's sake. They were suffering for a cause and for a purpose and for something larger than themselves. For Victor, what he came to understand was their suffering proved evil existed in the world. And there had to be a better story out there. And so he was able to survive. And wrote and went on to proclaim this idea 
So God's able to reach into suffering and redeem it in a powerful way. This was his message. As long as it has a purpose. And so that's what Paul is doing with his weaknesses. And that's what I'm at least going to encourage you to follow that example of Paul as you wrestle with whatever your weakness and your struggle is. And the point of this message is not stop praying for deliverance. But it is to also ask the question, God, how can you use this? What are you doing with this? Because here's the last point. This is what Paul understood. Your pain can be the platform that God uses to demonstrate his message. Your pain can be the platform that God uses to demonstrate his message. I know you so well because God has blessed us to be here for 20 plus years now. But it's been my honor to walk alongside so many of you as you've either buried a loved one or gone through a difficult illness, struggled through a difficult marriage, wrestled with some form of mental health. And so many of you have shared a testimony from that. Of here's what God did with me through that. And you use an interesting phrase. I wouldn't wish this on anybody else, but I wouldn't change it for the world. Do you hear the disconnect in that? Because you came to a point where you saw what God was doing. And the way that he was forming you and the way that the message was going. Oftentimes I've encouraged so many You've paid, whatever you've gone through, you've paid a high price for your expertise now. You'd be ashamed to let it go to waste. Because that's what God can work through, just like for Paul. In my weakness, His glory is going to shine. His message can come forth. And he can use this because he can redeem all things and use them for good, those that believe in Jesus. Because isn't that the gospel story that we believe in anyway? I mean, if you think about the gospel message, we believe in Jesus that at his, what should have been his greatest moment of shame and embarrassment and agony and defeat, the cross, by all outside Opinions, it looks like Satan wins. It looks like the world wins. There's nothing heroic about it. There's nothing grand about it. There's nothing like this is a a show of strength about it. And yet God uses the crucifixion, the moment of apparent defeat to reach in and say, no, 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 this is the greatest victory in all of history. And Jesus walks out, still bearing the wounds of that. But in that weakness, 
God's ultimate power and glory is revealed. Jesus prayed for that to not happen as well. In the garden the night before, he goes into that trial. He asks his heavenly father, if there's any other way, can we take that way? If there's any other option, can we take that option? But if not, your will be done. And he was faithful to them. I started thinking about all the different people that I've been blessed to know. And so many of them I've already shared with you that glorified God even in the midst of their pain and their suffering. And I've shared with you the story of a young lady named Jennifer Graham who was at an internship that I was a part of when I was in college and as a young teenager lost her leg to cancer then lost her hair to cancer, then lost her life to cancer. But hundreds of unbelieving doctors, nurses, and technicians showed up at her funeral. And they all said that she had something different about her. And it was her faith. I've also shared about Alyssa Ferguson, who at one time was a member here at the age of 13, she succumbed to brain cancer. But because of the way she lived her life, the impact that she had where she wanted in the last years of her life to be sure that water wells were being drilled in Africa for villages that did not have access to water so children could have access to water, dozens of wells are now drilled. They recently opened up a new elementary in Houston that bears her name because the community came around they knew what she, she had been about in her life and they named it after her and I don't know if I've shared with you or not but when they came up they, asked the, they told the students that were going to be occupy that school they told them the story of Alyssa Ferguson and what she did even in her weakness and let me tell you, we prayed hard that God would heal her. Even in her weakness, though, she allowed God's grace and glory to shine through. And they told that story of what she was doing with the water wells in Africa. And they let the students pick, what do you want our mascot to be? And the students came back, we want to be the fireflies. Because we want to shine light. In the world. In our weakness, we're made strong. In our weakness, God is glorified. His grace is sufficient for you. Let me pray for you. Father, this is not easy. So I'll confess my weakness. Right now, Father, even attempting a topic like this. Because, Father, I am aware of those right now in the room and hearing this message online that they're struggling. And they're praying 
for deliverance and they've been praying for deliverance. Father, I'm asking, would you reveal yourself in the midst of the struggle and let us see your presence and not experience your absence? And Father, while we will not cease praying for deliverance, we ask that you will keep your promise in Romans 8.28 that you can still work even our struggles, even our weaknesses, even our temptations, our hardships, our insults, that you can work those for good. That you can redeem those. Father, may you be glorified. Would you use each of us? Would you transform each of us more and more into the image of Jesus? And may your message shine through. Father, help us this week in very tangible ways to wrap our hearts around this reality that your grace is sufficient for us. Will you let that sink deep into us? Deep into our hearts, deep into our life, and deep into whatever our weakness is right now. Father, ask all this in the name of Jesus. In the light of his victory on the cross and his defeat over death, I ask in that name with that power. Amen.